You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the book of Isaiah. We've entitled this series, Living in the Shadow of Our Great King, or Living in the Shadow of the Great King. And today's message is entitled, God's Glory, God's Glory. And so I'd like you to turn to Isaiah 66, verses 15 to 24. Isaiah 56, verses 15 to 24. Here's the thing, church. You were made for glory. There's no doubt about it. It's in your DNA. We are all captivated by glory. It's why we give athletes millions and millions of dollars to play games. It's why we stand in line to get their autographs. It's it's why... Actors and singers and musicians have thousands of those who are following them and having their, trying to get their, their autographs as well. It's, it's why social media stars have hundreds of thousands of followers. It's, it's why brilliant writers sell so many books. It is why the brightest minds are celebrated with great honors. It is why heroic deeds are celebrated. There is something good in celebrating and honoring excellence and greatness. It's good and it's right that we long for glory. The issue running through the entire book of Isaiah is which glory do we long for? Which glory holds first place in our hearts? Which glory will we ultimately honor, praise, and live for? Here's the choice. Man's glory... Or God's glory? Those are the two choices. You're going to live for glory. The question is, will you live for man's glory or will you live for God's glory? And that's the question that runs through the book of Isaiah. That's the question that God is addressing to each one of us. So I think you understand what man's glory is, right? Celebrating all that man does. You heard me say that there is a good to celebrate excellence and greatness. But the question is, what do we celebrate most? What do we celebrate as ultimate, man's glory or God's glory? Let me define God's glory for you. God's glory is the manifestation of his excellence. It is the revelation of who he is, his character. It is the display of his greatness, his perfection, his purity, his holiness in a radiant light that is brighter than any human being can imagine. That's God's glory. And every sort of human glory is but a dull facsimile of that glory. Any excellence that you might enjoy is simply a reflection of that glory. Where we get it wrong is we make the human glory above God's glory. And we start wanting that glory for ourselves. God gives you the ability to have great accomplishments and suddenly those morph into that's what I'm living for rather than living for God's glory. It's subtle. It's what happened to Israel and Isaiah. It's what can happen to us as Christians. You hear that? So see, two questions drive our text this morning. The first question is, how in the world does God reveal his glory? And the second question is, what response does God expect to his glory? How does God reveal his glory? And what response does God expect to his glory? So let us read Isaiah chapter 66 verses 15 to 24. Isaiah chapter 66, verses 15 to 24. 
For behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice. He's describing those who are going after God's glory or man's glory, excuse me, shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. Verse 18, for I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, who draw the bow to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. On horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on domadres. To my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them also I I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an importance to all flesh. So what's going on here, my friends? in our text, is that God is revealing his glory two ways. He's revealing his glory through judgment. Those were verses 15 to 17, those people that are eating pig's flesh and mice. So if you're Cuban, don't be offended by that, all right? This is now just representing what's unclean. Jesus has fulfilled the law, so we can eat pig's flesh, all right? But the idea is those that are unclean. You got it? Okay. So through judgment of those who rebel against God and go their own way, God reveals his glory. And God reveals his glory through deliverance, verses 18 to 23. Those whom he delivers, that is what our text is all about. And really, our text summarizes the entire book of Isaiah, because the entire book of Isaiah is broken down into these same two categories. God reveals his glory in Isaiah in chapters 1 to 39 through judgment, And chapters 40 through 66 through deliverance, judgment, deliverance, both reveal God's glory. Because you see, God calls us to worship him once he reveals his glory. And the problem is we end up worshiping ourselves, either in religiosity, self-righteousness through ritual, or we say, forget about God. I'm my own God. I'm going to do my own thing. Both and. And God says, I will reveal my glory by judging those who do that, but I will deliver some to enable them to worship me and to call others to worship me. And that encapsulates the thesis for this text on the screen. Our God reveals his glory in judgment and deliverance calling the nations to worship him. Our God delivers or reveals his glory in judgment and deliverance, calling the nations to worship him. You see, 
just as we, just like we were made for glory, we were made to worship. You will worship. The question is, whom will you worship? What will you worship? You're a worshiper. Again, it's why we pay millions to athletes. It's why we go after their autographs. It's why we uh, adulate you know, musicians and, and singers. It's why these great authors get all this money. It's why the YouTube stars get thousands and thousands of followers. We're made to worship. And if you don't worship God, you will worship the creation. You'll worship yourself. You'll worship others. Right? And that never ends well. It never ends well. So God is calling us to worship him. He reveals his glory by judging the wicked, by delivering the righteous, and then he calls the nations to worship him. Point one, God judges the wicked. This is how God reveals his glory. Don't miss this. This is very important. God's glory is revealed by judging the wicked. Evil does not win the day. No matter how dark it may seem, God will judge evil. That is his glory. He is just and he is good and he is right. Where do you see that in the text, Al? Well, look at verse 15. You see the word fire in verse 15. The Lord will come in fire. You see it again in verse 16. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment. This idea, this picture of fire, always in the Bible, is a picture of God's holiness and of God's judgment. It's the picture of holy God judging unholy man who rebels against holy God. So there's the symbol of judgment of the wicked. Secondly, there's this word chariots. You see it in verse 16, and it's chariots. These chariots represent God's power in judging the wicked. They're chariots of fire. They're chariots of war. God wages war against the wicked who refuse to worship him. The next symbol is a whirlwind. You see that at the end of verse 15? And he will judge them with his chariots like a whirlwind. A whirlwind wipes everything out. Think of a tornado. Sadly, the tornadoes that hit Oklahoma last night and hit Missouri earlier in the week. What, what do you see after a tornado hits? Utter destruction. Go online, you'll see it. This is what God does to the wicked. He utterly destroys them. And in that, he reveals his glory. Because the wicked will not prosper. And finally, in verse 16, we see the judgment of God against the wicked in the symbol of a sword. You see it there, verse 16? For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all, all flesh. This judgment is universal. It's no longer now about Israel, right? Isaiah was about Israel, God judging Israel for their unfaithfulness. But he's saying, no, no, I'm judging all flesh, all the nations, because they refuse to worship me. They worship instead the creation. They worship themselves, whatever. Do you realize that the sword forms a bookend for the history of man's rebellion against God? Look on the screen. Genesis 3.24. At the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve chose to worship themselves, chose to be God rather than worship God, when God judges them and God judges their sin, look what he does in verse 24. He stations a sword outside of the Garden of Eden. For he drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim. By the way, can I just tell you right now? 
Can we just be done with these effeminate pictures of angels and heavenly beings? Can we please? This is, this is the for evidence number one. This dude is a cherubim with a flaming sword, okay? Doesn't have a dress on. He's dressed like a SEAL Team 6 member. You do not want to come near this guy, okay? Thank you. That commercial's over. Back to the regularly scheduled program. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, put one of those guys on your Christmas tree this Christmas. And he, and he, it's very, very sentimental. And he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way. That just means that he, no one's getting by him. Why? To guard the way to the tree of life. And at the end of human history, Isaiah 66 is telescoping human history. This is talking about the final judgment of Christ. What do we see? We see a sword. We have the sword of the Lord. We see Jesus dressed in robes of righteousness, trampling out the vineyards of God's wrath, which is in Isaiah. Ever heard of the the song, The Battle Hymn of the Republic? It's written from Isaiah. My eyes have seen the glory, the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. That's not just a song. That's just some little emotional thing that we sing on Memorial Day. Sing it on Memorial Day. I get emotional when I see that stuff. I don't cry at anything but military parades. I know, that's weird. But it's real, man. There'll be a sword at the end of time. To judge the wicked who refuse to worship God. And if you're not a Christian, listen, I am revealing God's glory to you. And I pray with all my heart, with all due respect, that you would listen. Because it's intended to speak to you. When Paul was preaching to the leaders of the Roman world, he preached to them the gospel and he talked about judgment. Go read it in Acts. And it moved them. It moved them. May it move you. But there's this sword here at the end of time. And it's, it's intended to judge God's enemies. And who are those enemies? All right? Look at verse, at the end of verse 16. And by his sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord will be many. Those are his enemies. Who are those enemies? Look at verse 17. Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, eating pig's flesh and the abomination and mice. That's simply a picture of those, particularly in Israel, who trafficked in self-righteous ritualism, religiosity. They had the law, but their hearts were far from God. They were trusting in themselves. I think it can include in modern day anybody that's going to craft a man-made religion, whether it's secular humanism, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Islam. It doesn't matter. Santeria, you pick it. It's anybody that says, I'm going to get there my way and even try to look righteous in the case of Israel. Sometimes in the case of of, of someone who calls themselves Christian, but they're just self-righteous. They're not trusting in the works of Christ, their own works. God says they are like those who eat flesh, pig's flesh. Again, remember, highly unclean for a Jewish mind or mice. Those are his enemies. We were all his enemies at one time. God judges them. Look at the end of 17. They shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. Why? They shall come to an end together because they are rejecting the place where God reveals his glory. Because listen to me, God reveals his glory in judgment of the wicked. We're not there yet. 
He's, we're also, he's going to reveal his glory in the deliverance of the righteous. But the focal point of where God reveals his glory, the place where God judges the wicked and delivers the righteous is the cross of Christ. That is the place where the righteousness of God is on display, where his glory shines brightest. See, those whom Isaiah is speaking of in Isaiah 66, 17, are those who reject the righteousness of God in Christ. Those who reject what Paul wrote in Romans 3, 21 to 24. Here's the glory of God. You ready? But now, and by the way, Paul had just finished telling about all the wickedness of man who's trying to be righteous on his own and how man serves and worships the creature rather than the creator. He's already indicted everybody. And now in verse 21, he reveals the glory of God at the cross of Christ. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Why? Because all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The pagan who doesn't even know about God and creates his own God. Or the Jew that says he's so religious but his heart is far from God. The Christian who goes to church every single Sunday but his heart is far from God. Or the pagan that could care less about God. All, all have fallen short of what, church? The glory of God. And are justified. How? By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. God reveals his glory by judging the wicked. Point two, God reveals his glory by delivering the righteous. God delivers the righteous through judgment. Oh, yes. God delivers the righteous through judgment. God delivers you through judgment because he judged Jesus on the cross in your place. That's why the cross is at the center of God's revelation of his glory. That's why the Bible says that you want to see the glory of God, you see it in Christ. That's why John would say, this is the glory of God. That's why Hebrews says that Jesus is the image of the, the unseen God. He's, he's the representation of the glory of God. You want to see the glory of God? Look at a naked man hanging on the cross who bore your sin. For God is holy and he must judge your sin. And he judged your sin on Jesus on the cross. And he delivers you from the wrath of God. He makes you a survivor. Because I'm sure you're wondering, where do you see this in the text, Al? Look at verse 19. Skipping to 19. <clears throat> Suddenly, these words have gotten so much smaller the older I get. Where in the, who took verse 19 out of my Bible? Where is it? Here it is. And they, okay, here we go. And I will set a sign. That sign is the cross. And I will set a sign among them. And from them, I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, who draw the bow to Tubal and Javan to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame 
or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. The sign is Jesus. The survivors are you and me who have survived the wrath of God because on the cross, the emblem of his glory, his glory reveals shining brightest on this earth. On his cross, Jesus took the judgment for my sin. He judges sin and then he gives me his righteousness. And as a survivor, he sends me out into the nations to preach the gospel. Church, this is called the Great Commission. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, I believe that he is giving this very scripture. I believe he is thinking of the fulfillment of this text. Because in this text, what you have is those who've survived my judgment, the judgment of the wicked, I then send into the nations. All those nations that you read about in verse 19, Tarshish, many people feel that that's a city in Spain on the western edge of the Mediterranean. Pool and Lud, that's probably somewhere in North Africa. Tubal and Javan is probably somewhere in Greece and Turkey. And then when he says to the coastlands, look at it with me, to the coastlands far away that have not heard. Basically, the coastlands is everything else. So what he's saying is, my survivors, whom I will deliver from my own wrath because of the servant Messiah that we've already preached about, they will then go to the nations with this sign, the sign of the cross, and they will reveal the fame of my name and my glory. So that then they will call the nations to bow their knee, not to some other fame, the fame of anybody else's name or the fame of their own name. They will bow their knee to the fame of my name, Jesus, and they will see my glory displayed on the cross. That's the symbol and the sign. This is exactly, this is exactly what Paul is thinking about when he writes Romans 1.16. This is God's power of deliverance. This is God's power of salvation. Just as God's power of judgment is seen in fire and chariots and whirlwinds and swords, and his glory is revealed in that, so his power of deliverance and salvation is revealed in the gospel, in that sign, in the cross, in the lives of survivors who've survived his wrath, who now go to the nations and preach the glories of the gospel, the glory of God. We're going to hear from one of those survivors at the end of this service who's being baptized today. But look at Romans 1.16. I believe Paul's thinking about this when he writes, Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is the sign of Isaiah 66. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek See, what's, amazed, what's amazing about that is this. The Jew missed it. The Jew thought it was all about Israel. What they missed is God saying, it's not about Israel. It's about Israel reflecting my glory. It's not just about Israel. It's about all the nations. I'm sending you into the nations. They just kind of sat back and thought the nations would come to them. Happens to all of us a little bit, doesn't it? But God says, no, I'm sending you into the nations with the sign of the cross So that you would call the nations, you see that in verse 18, for I know that their works and their thoughts and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues and they shall come, they shall see my glory. Verse 19 speaks of the nations. 
Verse 20, I love verse 20. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations. Look at it. As an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering. So the picture is not just of Israel coming to the Lord, repenting and believing, but then Israel going out into the nations, God's people going out into the nations with the sign of the cross, speaking of the fame of his name, the name of Jesus, speaking of his glory revealed on the cross. And calling them, the elect amongst those in the nations, to come and worship God on his holy mountain. It's not a physical place. It's the new Jerusalem. It's the new heavens. It's the new earth. It's it's the kingdom of God. I truly believe that this is what Jesus was demonstrating to his disciples when he stopped and spoke to the woman at the well. So if you got whiplash there going from... Isaiah, to the woman at the well, sorry about that. I'll try to slow down a little bit. I made a hard turn there. Everybody got thrown against the side of the car. (laughs) Are you back? You got your breath again? All right, okay. So Isaiah's written in 700 or something BC. Now we fast forward to Jesus' time. Let's say 30 AD, over 700 years later. Jesus is walking through a Samaritan village. Samaritans were considered like Gentiles. Jews considered them unclean. These are the nations that Isaiah is talking about. Jesus stops and speaks to a woman while his disciples are off getting food. He stops and speaks to a woman who is at a well when no one else is there because she's a sinner. She's had numerous husbands. And he shares, he reveals himself to her. A Samaritan woman. He reveals himself to her. He reveals the glory of God. Now, it's not the perfect revelation because he hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't risen from the dead, but it's pointing in that direction. It's fulfilling Isaiah 66. He reveals himself to her, and then watch what happens on the screen. John 4, 29. Why am I reading this? Because I believe it's fulfillment of Isaiah 66. John 4, 29 says the following. So the woman left her water jar. She's just gotten a revelation of Jesus and seen it, okay? She leaves her water jar and went away into town and to the people. Go into the nations. And listen to what she says. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. And I could just imagine in my sanctified imagination, the townspeople just bustling. Who, where, where is he? This is the Christ. These are Samaritans. These are half-breeds. These are the people that, that the Jews thought were unclean. Don't even talk to them. They would go around Samaritan cities. No one talked to a Samaritan. If you were a true rabbi, you wouldn't even speak to a Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman. And these people, hearing the, the, the testimony of this woman from all the nations, they start coming to Jesus. And I could just see them walking fast. And they're probably walking through these wheat fields. I've been to that area. We were visiting Israel. And while that's happening, his disciples come back. And they see Jesus talking to this lady. He goes, "Uh, excuse me, uh, Rabbi, uh, you do know she's a Samaritan. Uh, Why are you talking to her? Listen to what Jesus says to them in verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food, because remember they had gone to get some food. McDonald's was closed. No, it was Sunday, so Chick-fil-A was closed. 
come back with no food. They still don't get it, right? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I believe he was thinking of Isaiah 66, guys. Go into the nations. And then he says, do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. And I believe at this moment, when he's saying this, they were looking up across those wheat fields. And they were seeing those broken, despised, unclean, filthy Samaritans who were just coming through those wheat fields, man. They looked like us. <laughs> and once it's just a bunch of losers, man. Just, ah! <laughs> oh, but they were coming to worship God. I know it's not a perfect picture. I get all that. But do you get the picture? And he says this. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, 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 I tell you. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Church, God is, he saved us. He saved us so that we might go out and display his glory. We just stand there and say, you want to see God's glory? I deserve his wrath. And he delivered me through the cross of Christ. Come with me and see and worship God. That's our call, church. That is our call. That is the appeal of this text, that God reveals his glory by judging the wicked and delivering the righteous. And as those who have been delivered by God, we go out to declare God's glory in Christ, calling the nations to worship him. This text ends with a church service. It really does. In the Jewish mind, verse 23 is what we're doing. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. Do you understand that what we're doing right now is simply a dress rehearsal for that final day when all the nations will come to worship God? Every Sunday when we come together, this is a dress rehearsal for the worship of God that will go on forever and ever and ever. And all the nations will be there. You, I love Palm Vista and I love South Florida because literally we have all the nations here. We have every hue of coloring. We have so many accents. We have so many backgrounds. And we are a picture of heaven. We are a picture of God's glory. God's glory is shining right now as you come to worship. When you come to worship every Sunday, come excited that you get to see God's glory and be part of God displaying his glory on earth. That's why. That's why. I always think, is it Sunday yet? I realize that our call is to go out Monday through Saturday to the nations and call them in. But it's just as important to bring them into worship together on Sunday. And it's a picture of that final day. In fact, what he says here in the text, I love this. He says um, in verse 22, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall their offspring be. So so shall their name remain. What he's saying is, church, even as my new heavens and new earth will remain forever, you will remain forever because I've given you a new name. You are my offspring. So rest in me. Go out into the nations. Call them. Call them to come see the glory of God in the cross of Christ, in the lives of his people. Listen, they need to come here today. 
They need to come here today. Because here they see the glory of God. Here they hear of the judgment against the wicked. Not from self-righteous people, but from people who know that their sin was judged on the cross. And Jesus gave them right. They need to see the deliverance of the righteous. They need to hear us sing. They need to listen to a testimony that you're all about to listen to from Julia Gonzalez, who's going to be one of those who shines brightly with the glory of God as she shares with you how God has delivered her. Now, she's very nervous. She told me before the service, I don't know if I can do this. I told her, you can get started and I'll, I'll... help you walk down the walkway. But, but Julia, what you're doing is you're fulfilling Isaiah 66. What you're doing is you're encouraging us. You are shining with the glory of God. In one sense, it's not about you. Although it is because he saved you. He cares about you, but it's about Christ and his glory. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings. 